Good morning. My name is Emma Burrish, and I'm a part of the Bojangles Coliseum Community Group. Mark 8, verses 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And the disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat and his disciples, with his disciples, and went to the district of Demantha. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. We're glad you could join us in person as well as online today. Uh, I know that June marks the beginning of summer, and I know a lot of us are traveling and want to travel, but we're glad that you could join us during this time as we worship the Lord. As Pastor Derek shared, just a quick comment about our women shepherds and our elders. Oftentimes, you'll see that our women shepherds and elders are at the forefront of our church, but you also notice that they're in the back of our church, meaning not only do they serve by leading different things, but they also serve in the background unseen, and oftentimes they don't get the proper acknowledgement um, that they actually deserve, I believe, uh, because our women shepherds and elders are one of you. They're part of this church, members serving our church. And if you know our church, especially during sabbatical, it's not about the pastors only. It's not only about the staff. You know that it is our woman shepherds, our elders, our deacons that really serve. So I'm really glad and thankful that um, our woman shepherd, Bonnie, and our elder, Dave, could go on this sabbatical to do what they're first and foremost called to do, which is to be a member of our church. Um, That means they're here. Please reach out to them. Call them, dine with them, initiate meetings with them that they would normally do with you. Uh, We want to give them time of rest so they could be loved well during this time. And again, we also want to welcome back our elder uh, Brad Snyder. We're glad that he's coming back uh, with his wisdom, his love, and his, uh, his, his heart for all of us as he's oftentimes the first one that will greet you, especially if you're a newcomer. Uh, But also, I know that God has gifted him with a sense of humor. So we're glad that he's back on session with us as he shares as well. Yeah, let's let's give him a round of applause. I know they serve and um, as well. Please pray for them. Pray for us as we continue to serve and serve together as body of Christ, as we continue to serve our God together um, in this time. Um, after two-week break that we had with Pastor uh, Dr. Owen Ince in Book of Hosea, we're back in Gospel of Mark today. 
And according to Mark, to get you back up to speed, we're in chapter 8, and we're journeying with Christ on his way to the cross. As the king who was promised to come came and now is leading us as he journeys to the cross, the disciples and all of us are invited to follow him and to learn from him and to learn the ways of discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Christ is on display throughout these chapters. And now we're entering into the second part of Gospel of Mark as he is headed towards the cross. One of the past year's hottest TV show was Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I know you guys really like that show. Many of you love Star Wars, love this show. And even if you're not a Star Wars fan or have subscription of Disney+, Plus, you don't have to have that to join our church, by the way. Um, you surely must have seen the impact of this. And may I just say Baby Yoda. And if you have not even seen the show, you probably know this. Or the famous line in the title of today's message, This is the way. Right? It's overplayed. I know it's overused in many ways, but often that's the, the way of Mandalorian. And not to give away the storyline if you want to watch it, but to explain to those who may not be familiar with Mandalorian or Star Wars, the plot line of the story surrounds a Mandalorian mercenary who lives by a strict code of law that defines this sect, this group that often repeats this phrase as they meet with one another by saying, this is the way. And they all subscribe to this particular way of living, signifying their allegiance tied to the Mandalorian way. However, the main character of this story, the whole story basically is this character, life, and the way of life is challenged and is also flipped upside down as he encounters this new child, Baby Yoda, as they will say. He actually has a name that you find out later on, but I'm not going to give that away. But his way goes through a radical transformation, and he starts doing something that is in contrary to the Mandalorian way, and his life, as cliche as it sounds, is never the same again. His life is flipped upside down to now is creating a new way of life as he journeys on in effort to save the life of this child. I believe there's a lot of similarities to the life of discipleship as we look into the Gospel of Mark. As we look at the life of Christ and the following the way of Christ, we see again the way of the Christ, way of the cross, is the way that challenges our preconceived notion. Throughout this Gospel narrative, throughout this Gospel Mark, time and time again, what Christ does is to flip our lives upside down. Because we all have ways we are familiar with the ways we have grown up, the stories of our origin, background, even preferences that we have acquired along the way. But as you journey with Christ throughout the Gospel of Mark, what Jesus does with the disciples as well as all of us is to point at that and say, actually, this is my path that I want you to follow. I want to be the king. I am the king. You will be my people. I will be your God. And he turns those who follow their life upside down. And again and again, throughout each story, he challenges our preconceived notion of what it means to be a follower of Christ to again show us this is the way of the cross. And what happens throughout the Gospel of Mark as we saw it is that disciples who are at the forefront of following Christ needs 
these lessons taught to them again and again and again. We have not, uh, we, we're not going to be able to cover this story, but later on in verse 21, even after, as they see this feeding of 4,000 happen, also as they experience the feeding of 5,000 that happen, this is the question that they have in their hearts as they are in a boat with Christ, and they're wondering, we, we forgot to bring bread. And they're wondering, we don't have enough bread, and this is what they say. We have not, and they start arguing with one another. And Christ tells them, Mark chapter 8, 21, he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? I don't know about you, but actually I find grace of God in that. Because disciples don't get it right away. It takes work for them. Repeated lessons, life trials, hardships, they will see, and we will see more failures along the way. But I am encouraged by that because I'm just like them. I'm just like them in many ways. I need to be reminded of the gospel message again and again and again in my life, in our journey with Christ. And I believe that's the gospel invitation for us again as we look at the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus once again challenges our way of discipleship, our way that we follow him and shows us the kingdom of God, his way, what Christ's way is all about. Today's story is a very familiar story as you journey with us in Gospel of Mark because in chapter 6, we saw a feeding of 5,000. And some of, the, some of um, the critics of the scripture would say, well, see, this is why Bible is not reliable because the author, Mark, is fumbling through the details Arguing, again, the validity of the Bible is at stake because they're telling the same story with different numbers. But as we have a closer examination of this story, we realize that this is not the case. In fact, this is two separate feedings that Mark is writing about. Absolutely, you could have confidence in it. As we delve into this, we'll see the gospel of Mark. Mark is writing this story to teach us again another facet, another picture of the gospel of Christ and the way we ought to follow, the way of the cross, the way of discipleship, and what it means to follow the king. And let's see what this banquet teaches us about, what that means this morning. The first way the scripture teaches us today is the way of the compassion, the way of compassion of discipleship. Verse 1, we read today, it says, In those days when again a great crowd, again it says, right, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their home, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. The way of compassion. In verse 2, as we see here, church, Christ declares, I have compassion. Note that this is the first person singular, Christ declaring this. And it's important for us to notice that. Because throughout the gospel narrative, four gospels, oftentimes the compassion of Christ is on display and it is written in a third person narrative, meaning it's observation. It is a remark that's made about him. Throughout Mark chapter 1, Matthew 9, 36, Luke 7, 13, it reads, he felt compassion. Jesus had compassion. And again, in Mark chapter 6, in the feeding of 5,000, this, this is what Mark writes in verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion. It's observation. It's third-person narrative of telling what they saw and what that happened. But unlike Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 8, 
this is the only place in the gospel narratives where it is written in the first person, where Jesus declares, I have compassion. Basically declaring that I am a compassionate God. King's trait, as we see in this text, is that our God is a compassionate Savior. I have compassion. This is my character trait that I want you to know, the followers to know. I'm a compassionate king. You follow a compassionate Savior. And we should all be familiar with this character trait of God. It is littered throughout the Scripture. Psalm 111.4 says, He has caused His wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Lamentations 3.22 and 23 says, Through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This morning when you woke up, you have felt the compassion of our Savior. Romans 9.15, For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Again, church, this is who our God is. At the core of who he is, his compassionate God. And the word compassion has its roots in a Latin word, passion. And you heard that word before, have you not? Passion, the suffering of Christ. The passion of Christ, compassion of Christ, as we see here, leads to action of giving of the food, the miracle of multiplication, the creation of the food. But on the way to the cross, his compassion, passion, leads to action of giving of his life, the miracle of atonement, the recreation, the restoration of one's spiritual soul is on display. Following this king means following our compassionate king who not only gives food to eat, a physical substance in this story, but the king who provides spiritual substance of forgiveness of sin and the life of eternity. That's our king. And what we see in this story is following this king means following the king's way to have compassion on those who are hurting. This is what it means to follow after our king because this story again, as he creates recreates the food. It's a creation miracle. The food is made available on the spot. He not only just provides to the, uh, the crowd, what he does is he actually uses the hands of the disciples. Jesus creates, through his hands, he creates the food to eat, but that food is given to the disciples to give to those who are in need. Imagine, just picture with me for a second. Use your imagination for a second. And disciples are sitting around Christ. And he says, I have compassion. And that compassion leads to action. And they are witnessing this creation firsthand. And as they see this creation, a compassion, compassionate hand of the creator, they receive this food from this king. And what are they called to do? Simply pass it on. They pass it on to those who are in need. And they, when they run out, what do they do? They simply come back to Christ. And they receive compassion again from Him in order to give compassion to others. Church, that is discipleship. That is what it means to do ministry out of overflow. As you receive the love of Christ, compassion of Christ in your heart, 
as you're overflowing with his love for you, you are then now able to go forth and not give yourself, but give what you have received from Christ to others. Family, friends, church, workplaces, school, whatever it may be. That is at the foremost, at the forefront, what it it means to follow our king. One of the questions that really flipped my way of looking at theological education was the question that was asked by one of my um, father-in-law's friends. As I met my wife and in in the process of meeting my in-laws, one of this friend, uh, who is non-Christian, asked me this question, finding out that I was in seminary wanting to be a pastor. He sat me down and he asked me this question that he had uh, wanted to ask me. And he simply asked, what would you say to a person who lost it all? His job, his family, and his own, um, his own life was at stake as he's sitting, sitting by the beach wondering what has happened to him, wondering why all this has happened in his life. What would be your words to him? And I was wondering, thinking about all my classes I'd taken at seminary and all the great knowledge I was gaining here, and I was thinking, okay, I got this apologetics in my hand. I got all these Bible verses I could code, all these things I memorized. I'm ready to go. And I fumbled through the answer. I had no idea what I was saying. I was saying, oh, you got sovereign, but I, and I just had no idea what I was saying. And he simply looked at me, and you know what he said? I wish you would have said, first and foremost, sit there to cry with them. Just cry with them. And church, this is not a theologian asking me this question. This was a non-Christian, a person who does not see hope in Christ telling me this, saying what they need from a follower of Christ is not a theological exposition of the Scripture, but tears, compassion, the heart. Church, are we a compassionate church? Are you a compassionate follower? Are you marked by knowledge of the wisdom of Scripture? Or are you marked by compassionate, the love of Christ? So when others see you, they see a compassionate heart. In the eyes of the watching world, what are we marked by? Amazing exposition of the Scripture? Or amazing love that displays the love of Christ? In the same vein, We are called to be a call to be a church of justice. I love what Reverend Dr. Inns said to us during one of the gatherings. He said, the ministry of mercy, love, is justice. Justice is mercy. Rachel Den Hollander, a former U.S. gymnast, activist, speaker, and brave sexual abuse survivor, the author of What is a Girl Worth writes, this is what makes gospel of Christ so sweet. She says, it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. Do you guys catch that? The grace of God extends to place where none should be found. That's the beauty of the gospel that we're called to live by. I love that, guys, because this is what the way of the cross is all about. To cry, to suffer, to walk with those who are hurting, to love, to listen before speaking. This is a way of compassion, way of the cross. Oftentimes I get this question, Pastor, sometimes I don't know what to say. That's great because you could be taught what to say. 
But what we ought to wrestle with is, Pastor, what must I feel? What must I move in our hearts? Because that's becoming, moving the compassion. And that's what Christ is teaching the disciples here, isn't it? Dr. Tasha Chapman, professor at Covenant Seminary, said, the major barriers to learning are not usually intellectual, but emotional. My professor who said, the major barrier is your emotional intelligence. question is, do we have this compassion of Christ? You know what that is? In order for you to have that, it is growing to be more and more and more like him. As you become more and more and more like him, your heart will break with things that breaks his heart. You only have compassionate, you only have the compassion to heart when you are shown compassion. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke 7, 47, doesn't he? When he talks about the sinful woman. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Church, may we be followers that are loved by God so much that we cannot help but to have this heart of compassion, love for others. Church, this is the way, the way of the compassionate king. The second thing we see is not only the way of the compassionate king, but the way of inclusion, inclusion in this story. Verse 4 says, And his disciples answered them, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said seven, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, having given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Second way of discipleship through this text is the way of inclusion. The way of inclusion. After Jesus tells the disciples he had compassion, a similar story seemed to follow. Disciples seemed clueless at best, wondering, what can we do here? Powerless to do what's next. So many theologians do highlight that disciples didn't yet learn anything from before of the feeding of the 5,000. Perhaps that's true here. There's some of that theme that's playing on here. But looking at the context and the wording of the disciples, I think something else might be happening here instead as well. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000 just merely happened a month ago in a significant event. I don't know about you, if I witnessed feeding of the 5,000 that happened, I probably don't forget about it after a couple months, right? So it is unforgettable to say the least. I do want to give disciples a little bit more credit than forgetfulness. Not only that, in today's text, what we don't see is that disciples making a similar remark as in chapter 6, when they're trying to figure things out on their own. Rather, what they're asking now today is, it's more of a question of asking Christ, of what are you going to do now? We've seen you do this before. Are you still going to do the same thing? The focus is not on, can he do it again? The focus is on, rather, Will you do it again? And more so, why would you do it again? Why? Because if you remember the context, you notice the feeding of 4,000 is in completely different context than feeding of the 5,000. You know, the feeding of the 5,000 happens 
on the other side of the lake. On the other side of the lake, meaning it happens in the Israelite territory. The people that get fed are the Israelites, the chosen people of God. And in starting chapter 7, verse 24, we see Jesus taking the disciples on a short trip into the Gentile land as he reads, and from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And next to healing narrative that we find deals with the Gentiles coming to Christ. And through these two stories, we see that power of God on display not only includes the Israelites, the chosen people of God, but also the Gentiles, the famous story of the woman coming and saying, we, even the dogs, can eat the crumbs that are left over, and Jesus commands her faith and healing. And if you recall, Israelites did not want to do anything to do with the Gentiles. They will walk away from them, go around them, let alone dine with them. So here in the text, when disciples are asking, yes, I get to see that you heal them. I saw this great power of miracle. Yes, they can have this power of healing that could happen. But sharing the food with them, being in the same place, dining with them, especially for this time and this culture, dining eating food as much as it is for us, an important part of fellowship, it is all the more so in this time and the culture. What they're asking is, yes, the power of healing can be inclusive to the Gentiles, but even the fellowship, will they be invited to this banquet hall? Will you feed them as well? And the answer of Christ is resounding yes. What we see here, church, is not only feeding, but the way of discipleship, the way of inclusion that he's teaching the disciples. Now in Christ, what he's saying is the Gentiles, and now they're also included in this family of God. They're in the scope of God's grace, not only the benefits of healing, but they get to join with the fellow heirs in this banquet table to dine with the king. This group, mostly mixed of Gentile Israelites, they get to sit together and all are fed equally, abundantly, to the point of all of them being satisfied. There's no, okay, you Israelite get to eat first and the Gentiles next. All of them, if the scripture tells us, ate and were fully satisfied. Same word used in chapter 6 as chapter 8, meaning Christ's feeding does not discriminate. He will feed those who are hungry. Whoever comes to him, whoever is seeking him, he will abundantly feed them. This church is a gospel mandate to be here together, to celebrate the beauty of Christ, to be fed by the same gospel message for all people, sitting at the foot of the cross together, yet different, we're all included. There's not a special right or privilege granted to one group or the another. Not one race, not one ethnicity not background over the other. There's no colorblindness here. It's about uniquely created in the image of God, but all included together. All of us are Gentiles after all. The reason why you and I are included here in the gospel is because of that. Grace of God, period. He invites us to come to eat. So church, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, 11 a.m., right now actually, is the most segregated hour in America, it should break our hearts. 
and move us towards fight for reconciliation, racial justice, not because it's culturally relevant or socially right thing to do. That's not that. Let's not put God in a box like that. God is greater than that. It's not just because you and I are in church like ours. Again, let's not put God in a box of Christ-centered church. But rather, the scripture mandates that for us. This is a gospel mandate. This is a call of the gospel, the way of inclusion that Jesus demonstrates in Mark 8 in the feeding. We are created uniquely, but all in the image of God according to Genesis chapter 1, and we also are headed towards the picture of Genesis chapter 7-9. Do you get that? From Genesis to Revelation. If you want to be a church, if you want to be a follower of Christ that follows the whole scripture, obey the commandments of all scripture, we have to obey from Genesis to Revelation. This is the way of the cross. We all need to eat. We all need to eat from this banquet of God together. From Genesis to Revelation. And church, that grace extends far wider in loving and inviting our neighbor. As the calendar month turned from May to June, as I was working this morning, uh, this week, a notification popped up in my calendar this past week. And many of you probably recognize that as well, not only in your work calendars, in your calendars in general, but in the TV, in the culture today. June 1st. June 1st, church highlights the star of LGBT Pride Month. And it's a topic that often churches sidestep. Oftentimes this month, you will rarely hear it's mentioned because it can cause divisions in the church. It's a very challenging topic. And please know that I'm not bringing this topic up lightly here. Uh, I asked Pastor Derek, please pray for me as I thought about this, how to approach this. It should be never be taken lightly. It deals with our core identity, as sexuality is a big part of who we are as God created us. I'm not also bringing this up because the cultural relevance of the time. I'm not saying because of June I'm going to talk about this. But I believe this story, as we talk about the setting, the inclusivity of the gospel, speaks to the current context today. Not the theological context, but the setting. Again, I'm not here to debate the theological stance. It is very clear where we stand as a church. As I shared before, we as a church hold to God's definition of marriage. God gets to define it. But again, what I want to raise in this discipleship, the way of inclusion, is how often we lack, how often we have failed as a church to show compassion and inclusivity in dealing with this. In the way of Christ, as we see again the feeding of 4,000 here, there's no partiality based on gender, race, and ethnicity. Did you notice that all are fed here? There was no check of you got everything right at the door? Most likely, none of them did. There is no prerequisite on who gets or who does not get God's grace, who does not eat or gets to eat from the banquet. Jesus does the feeding. Jesus does the teaching. The disciples merely receive 
from generous and compassionate king to serve and to give. And the followers of church is called to do the work of feeding Christ's food out of overflow. And Jesus invites all of us all to come, listen, and to hear the truth. You know what that means for us, church? Especially this month as we think about our, our community, our city, our nation, our church. Our church, we all are called to be a place where LGBTQ community must be able to come safely. Rather than worrying about, can this be a place for me to be at? Church, we're called to be an inclusive place where all people can come. If we as a church is about, not only about love of Christ, but about the good news, the gospel, the truth, then all of us desperately need church to be a place where we all can come and hear the truth of God preached to us. And we, especially as a Reformed church, often failed in making such place where the gospel can be heard without hindrance because we have not loved well. We, the church, have not done well in loving, showing, sharing the way of Christ where all are welcomed. We often say, yes, this is the true in the name only, but oftentimes we elevate one sin over the other. Quite often as a church, we often blind, turn blind eye to the numerous failures and flaws in heterosexuality while outrightly condemning homosexuality without even hearing the story. And many have been hurt as a result. Many have seen injustice and experienced unnecessary hindrance in hearing God's truth. And church needs to apologize for that. In lack of love, especially for many that are deeply entrenched and also struggling through it. Church, can I say I'm sorry? Yeah. We're sorry as a church. Yeah. We need to do better. Yeah. We need to grow to reflect Christ better. We need to do better in receiving from him to be able to give. We need to do better in creating and making our church a safe place for anyone to come through the doors and see this place as a place of inclusion. The gospel invites for all of us to come. I love what Pastor Mari Hill wrote for us in our bulletin. It says, whatever your spiritual disposition, skeptic, seeker, and follower, we are glad you're here with us. We desire to have all of our hearts strengthened by the grace of Christ through today's worship service. We pray that we will leave eager to share that grace with the people around us throughout the coming week. Is that our heart, church? Especially this month. Now, please listen, though. That does not mean this place of safety is a place of comfort, as I shared from this puppet before. Safe place, absolutely. But comfortable, absolutely not. Because the way of the Christ is not absolutely comfortable. Disciples are not comfortably following Christ after all. The way of Christ will challenge us through God's word. The king has to be our king because God, by definition, had to be the king and not us. So like all of us, as we step inside the church building, no matter what background, ethnicity, race, gender, sexuality, whatever that we bring to the table, all should feel uncomfortable. All of us, because the gospel of Christ, the love of Christ, 
challenges us to reorient our lives again to submit to the king. As Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned. All of us without fail have sinned, and we are in desperate need of this feeding together as a body of Christ. Not one is better, not one needs more. We all need it. Church, I hope this is our posture. I pray this is my posture. I pray that this is our posture. We're the Gentiles. We're the outcasts. We're the ones in need of the Savior first and foremost. When we have that heart, we'll have compassion. When we have that heart, we will make this place most inclusive, most safe place as we all come to hear the truth of Christ together to transform, to surrender to our King. May that be our church's mark, a place of inclusion. Final thing that we see is not only our church, our discipleship is called to be a way of compassion, the way of inclusion, but the way of liberation. Verse 9 says, And there were about 4,000 people, more than that, including women and children, and he sent them away, and immediately he got up into the boat with disciples and left. The final way of discipleship of Christ is the way of liberation, when you hear are filled and satisfied with God's truth. Verse 9, when there is a little phrase that reads, uh, sent them away. Another word could be dismiss. Uh, it has very negative connotation if you think about it like that, but it has a double meaning in Greek. Sent them away means dismiss, to let go of. But also, another meaning for this word means to be set free, released from a painful condition, free to be liberated. So what verse 9 is telling us, as they are sent out, dismissed, as they are sent away, not only are they merely sent, but they are set free, liberated to go forth. What this narrative shows us is this story is not just a merely a story of coming and being fed by Christ, but is also about what it means to befitting others as disciples are learning. But this story, what shows us is a crowd that came, that followed, that listened, no matter what background they came from, they felt loved, they felt, they were fed by the Spirit of the Lord, they were fed physically, but also spiritually. So now they're freed, liberated, as they met with the compassionate king, not liberated to do whatever they want to do, but liberated from the bondage of sin. So now they can fully submit to God, of God, the King of Kings. That's what it means to follow this King. What is highlighted is not just a moral code. It is not just a fellowship of like-minded folks or serving the community, what it means to follow the King. That's great and all that. The gospel way is that as you hear from His truth, as you are fed by Him, you're now called to be free to live for him. It is being free to live as who you are meant to be, how you're created to be, to reflect God's image, to be liberated, to be free, so can now you freely obey your creator. How will you be freed from that? When you're fully, absolutely satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. When Jesus is enough for you and all you want is him, you'll be freed because that's what it means to live as a follower of Christ. And this feeding again shows us that he will, in fact, satisfy us. 
the crowd that experiences the power of healing, but also the fulfillment, the satisfaction of the gospel. They go from here liberated from the bondage, not only of the physical illness and the physical hunger, what they see is a spiritual healing and spiritual renewal of dining with the king, the purpose of Christ, the kingdom. And who will do that? Christ will do that. Christ does it. Not only does he feed with his hands by providing the physical food, but his perfect way, the path that he goes on. You know the number seven is mentioned three times through this text? Number seven in the scripture means perfection. Only perfection comes from Christ. Only thing that will satisfy comes from Christ. The compassionate king not only will give the food to eat, but this king will be on his way to the cross, not only to feed them, but to die for them. Die for us, the Gentiles. The ministry of Christ is a compassionate, inclusive of all who needs the saving grace. It is also liberating from the bondage of sin by his death on the cross. You could die to the cross with them so you could rise with them. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And that's the call of the gospel. Not only for you to come in here, but in uncomfortable in your sin. You ought to be. Because it's not enough. Only Christ can satisfy the longing of your heart. It's not enough to follow your desires of your heart. It is only enough when you can live in surrender to follow the desires of Christ. That's how you're created to live. And the power, the ability to overcome, the hope that we have comes from Christ. As he demonstrates to us again, the ability to be fed, to be transformed, to be dismissed, to sent away, to be liberated, comes from the word of God. Go in peace, as he says. He is not done with us yet. He will work it in us. This is the hope, church. This is the gospel grace, the story of feeding of the 4,000. I want to share this story to end. Before I share this, I need to make sure to give a little bit disclaimer. Church, I want you to know that if often I struggle for minority pastors like me to share about some of the things in my cultural background, because oftentimes that becomes everything about me, right? I don't represent all the Korean pastors in the world. You know, I'm not an expert at that. Uh, I am not your only Korean friend, I hope. Um... So sometimes when I share this, I feel like it becomes a norm. But I'm not saying this is a norm. But I share this story because I believe it will enrich our gospel experience. And I've been encouraged by it to do so as well. It's not a story about that faraway country or a third world country that is in need. We need it, as we saw it. We need the same gospel. I was told of the story of my previous pastor, the Korean pastor, my um, my senior pastor at the time, shared about his father's story, uh, pastor of a small rural town in Korea. And he said that part of his job as a pastor of a small rural town in the 60s and 70s, especially as the Korea was going through the war-torn country and in the path towards recovery, he wasn't going to the countries at the time. Not only his call as a pastor included conducting service on Sunday, but one of his jobs, and I was really, really surprised by this, was to be a town's mortician, a person who conducts funerals, not only to go and speak at the funerals, mind you,
but to prepare the body for the funeral. Quite often there were superstitions that surrounded the dead body and death in general in these places. The preaching the gospel meant not only proclaim the gospel truth over and against the fear of death, but actually demonstrating that as he prepared the body all night through the stench to show that as a pastor, a follower of Christ, the death has been overcome. One of the ways he would minister to love on people is to lead the family in worship, often too poor to pay, and prepare the body for the funeral. Never the glamorous, often unseen, difficult, yet unrewarding task. He shared that he did it not only to show the power of the gospel over death, but out of his compassion, he says, love for the small town of whomever they came to him, inclusivity of the gospel, so that they could be liberated from the fear of the dead body and the death. Church, I believe he proclaimed the way of liberation, not only over death, but through his actions of love. And I believe gospel calls us to follow his way like that. And it's going to look different, very different, in the places you're called to go to from here. As you walk out of these doors, whether it is in your homes, whether it is in your communities, your schools, your workplaces, sometimes even in our church communities. The question is, are you near this Savior who demonstrates his love for us And out of that overflow of being fed, are you feeding others? In the way of compassion, in the way of drawing, especially the outsiders, in this inclusivity, and also living and proclaiming the life of liberty, free to serve God. Church, may we be fed not only to feed others, so that we are free to enjoy God, to hear his true living God to grow in diverse, inclusive community of God that is challenged by the gospel truth and engage the world with the renewed, liberating dignity that comes from Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Church, pray with me as we declare this truth to God together. Father, we pray that we have often failed to follow our Savior. Thank you for the compassion you have shown for every single one of us. We are able to love because you have first loved us. You chased after us in our puddles of our sin and our darkness. And Father, your heart is ever after those in the puddles of sin. And your way is the only way that frees all of us to receive the life eternal, the forgiveness, and the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. Pray that our church will reflect this truth all the days of our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.